Hey guys, welcome to the Photo Banter Podcast. Um, Before we get into the Robert Maxwell interview today, I actually wanted to tell you about a new image transfer tool I've been using lately called PicDrop. It's a really great image transfer tool. Um, It was actually designed by a photographer with photographers in mind. Um, I've been using it for a month and can't say enough about it. Uh, It's really kind of helped me keep everything organized in one spot when I need to send off those photos to my clients. I can create like custom galleries and uh, different folders for different assignments I'm sending off to my clients and they can actually communicate with me and write notes on the photos I sent to them and rate them and just really help me kind of streamline at my business and keep everything organized in one spot. For years, I was just using like zip folder and WeTransfer and Dropbox. But with PickDrop, um, like I said, it's just kind of helped me keep everything organized and it looks professional. And I can't say enough about it. Um, And actually with today's podcast, if you use the promo code PHOTOBANTER when you sign up at PickDrop.com, you're going to get three months free of the image transfer tool, uh, PickDrop. Um, So definitely go check it out. Let me know what you guys think. And remember to enter the promo code PHOTOBANTER and you'll get three months free at PickDrop.com when you sign up. And uh, yeah, without further ado, we'll get into the Robert Maxwell interview here. Thanks so much. Welcome to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I speak with photographer Robert Maxwell. Robert has worked with clients such as Outside Magazine, Time, ESPN the Magazine, and Nike, to name a few. Over the years, Robert has photographed people such as David Bowie, Leonardo DiCaprio, Gordon Parks, and LeBron James, to name a few. I've been a fan of Robert's work for years, so I was really excited to get a chance to speak with him about his work. So I hope you enjoy it, and thanks so much for listening. All right, well, uh, Robert Maxwell, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thanks so much for taking the time to do this, man. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, definitely. I was excited to talk to you. Thanks for asking. Yeah, I've been following your work for years, and uh, definitely excited to talk to you. But I guess to kind of start off, I was kind of curious, like, where you grew up and, like, what are kind of some of your earliest memories of photography? Well, I was born in Vegas, uh, but we left when I was, I think, one years old. I was an Air Force brat. Mm. Then we moved to the uh, Central Valley, lived on a couple different Air Force bases. Uh, My earliest recollection about being interested in photography, uh, I remember as an infant, probably three, four years old, I remember... uh, really enjoying when my parents would get their uh, life magazine. Mm-hmm. And I re- remember looking through and I was always drawn to the black and white photos for some reason, more than the color. And, uh, that was a memory that I don't know if you call it suppressed, forgotten about, but it was probably when I was into photography for about 10 years, when I remembered that and realized, Oh, I guess I always have been interested in photography. Wow. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, if you'd asked me, you know, without that memory, I would have told you I got interested at, at the age of, I think I was 28 or 29 years old. Okay, so you, you kind of later on, you didn't start picking up a camera until your um, late 20s then? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that for, for me, you know, we were, uh, we were from simple means, so for me to even think about being a photographer uh, just wasn't practical. I couldn't go out and afford, you know, uh, to buy the camera, number one. Mm. Um and I actually was dating an, uh, a woman that was a little bit older than me. And I think it was for my birthday or Christmas. I can't remember what it was. She bought me a Canon AE-1. Oh, classic. And yeah, and I just, from that moment on, just fell in love. But 
you know, my first pictures were like everybody else's pigeons, squirrels, <laughs> uh, stuff like that. <laughs> but I just loved it. I loved it so much. Uh, I used to save the film canisters just because I thought they had value, you know, a little black and gray plastic. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah. What were you doing before you got into photography? Is that's really interesting, kind of here. You didn't kind of start taking it serious until you're kind of late twenties, thirties. Um, what were you kind of yeah. doing before you got into uh, photography? A little bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, I tell you, uh, I was a tenth grade dropout, so the first things I did up until about twenty five years old, I did manual labor, all types of different shitty jobs. Mm. Uh, then I got into sales because that was a little easier on the body Yeah, and found out I was pretty good at selling and then uh, eventually started working at an art gallery in La Jolla yeah. and uh, I got fired from that job because it was all glass. It was on the corner and if I saw somebody that I thought was interesting, even if I was in the middle of a sales pitch, I'd run out and say, excuse me, and I'd run out on the sidewalk and try to get their phone number and get them to shoot with me. Wow. So... Yeah, but that was kind of the best thing that ever happened to me because after I got fired from that job, I had met a local, uh, really well-known surf photographer, and he blew a lot of hot air, hot, hot air up my ass. Yeah, and he told me I was a great photographer. All this stuff, you should move to uh, London or Paris or Milan. So I believed this guy, and I sold everything I had. And within, I think, two months. Uh, I was on a plane to Paris and I didn't speak a word of French and uh, I got there and, you know, kind of stuck my nose into the photography world and I realized my friend had lied to me. (laughs) 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 This, this was in the era. This is like, you know, uh, it was 89 when I first moved to Paris. So like, remember like the early nineties, it was helmet Newton, Peter Lindbergh, uh, you know, Nick Knight, Paolo Reversi. It was all these guys that were just, you know, and still are cleaning up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was really intimidating. And it was basically sink or swim. I had no other choice. So I uh, really tried to learn uh, zone system back then. Yeah. And was having a, having a tough time with it. So uh, a girl I was dating at the time in Paris she worked at L Studios as a uh, an assistant, and she told me about a uh, they call it a stagiaire program, where you work for the studio for free for a month, and if a photographer likes the way you work, they hire you on as an assistant. Yeah. So I went one day, and my portfolio back then uh, was a uh, what are they? Not even four by five. They were small Vivitar prints where you could stick Polapan slides into a little plastic machine and it would kick out a little, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Polaroid. So I took it out of my pocket, handed it to her and she looked at a few and she said, can you wait a moment? I said, sure. She walked away and I kind of started getting exciting because it felt like she saw something. I didn't know if it was good or bad yet, but so she comes back and then she tells me go into studio number two. And I said, for what? She said, just go into studio number two. So I walked in and, uh, the studio was dark. There was a old man uh, shooting with a big uh, softbox. And when I walked in, this old man was screaming uh, at his assistant. And then he turned around and looked at me and he goes, what do you want? Why are you here? And I remember my knees starting to shake. And I said, 
uh, I, I want to be your assistant, sir. <laughs> and he goes, where's your book? So I said, oh, I got it right here. And it was in my pocket. Yeah. So I went up, handed him the Polaroids. And then he, he's looking through them. He gets about halfway through and he goes, and this is the kid he was yelling at. He goes, you see that boy over there? And I go, yeah. He goes, that's my assistant. He'll never take a fucking picture in a, for the rest of his life. He goes, he goes, you, you're a photographer. Go sit down. We're going to have lunch today. <laughs> oh my God. So, so I, was, I was gobsmacked. So I sat down with my Polaroids. And uh, as soon as I sat down, two or three of the other assistants, uh, I don't know who they were, you know, came and crowded around me like, hey, can we see your work? So I said, sure. So I'm starting to take the Polaroids off, I mean, the rubber band off my Polaroids again. And Fooley turns around and says, don't show those guys anything. They're shit. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so it was just the most surreal day and turned into a, a surreal, uh, God, how long did I know Fooley? For six years. Oh, he's just, you know, I still, yeah, yeah, I kept in touch once uh, I had moved back to the States. That's why, uh, we kind of drifted apart, but yeah, he was the, uh, one of the first three photographers that started, uh, at French L and then he eventually became art director for, I think it was 20 or 25 years. And when I met him, uh, they were trying to push him out the door basically. Yeah. So uh, we, we would go for long walks in Paris. I would always try to talk about technique and Fooley would always put photography in very sexual terms. <laughs> 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 so he, he, you know, he, he said a lot of things that the day he said it made no sense whatsoever. And then maybe sometimes a year later, two years later, I'd be in a situation and I called them uh, Fooleyisms. And I'd say, oh, my God, now I know what he means. For example, he, he used to tell me, when you go into the studio, your balls need to be full of sperm. Oh, my God. I thought, what the fuck does that mean? How, and, like, how, how old are you at this point? Like... Mid, mid, I don't know, uh, 28. All right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he could have came out and said, hey, kid, you really got to be confident when you go into a photo shoot. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't listen as well. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But when he tells you your balls need to be full of sperm yeah. and you catch yourself being insecure because you're shooting a celebrity or something, mm-hmm. that's when you really go, Oh, I need to, le- I need to learn how to control this. Yeah. Cause I used to be, uh, you know, my first probably two dozen shoots, I was nervous before every single one. And eventually I learned how to be confident in my work and that gave me confidence, you know, uh, dealing with people. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I actually was going to ask you that, like, even nowadays, do you ever have nerves before any big shoots ever? Or is, are you always just like fully confident with everything you do? Or uh, what's your feel, um, feeling I, these days? The No, I don't get nervous. I mean, uh, I, I guess the only time I was ever really impressed uh, by someone's, uh, what's the word, celebrity status? Yeah. Is uh, a few years ago, I got to shoot uh, not just one, but dozens of my surf idols. And the irony is they're all younger than me. Mm-hmm. But uh, Kelly Slater, Mick Fanning, yep. you know, then the new crew, uh, Julian Wilson and all those guys. It was just, uh, that was a little intimidating. But 
Kelly's laid back. I, I'd worked with him, you know, a couple of times. So, uh, but yeah, it was one of those times where I kind of felt like, oh man, I'm acting like a fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think I pulled it off. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, that's awesome. And like when you're kind of out there living in Europe, like when you first got out there, did you kind of have a goal in mind for the type of work you wanted to shoot? Cause like out there it was like, what did you think you're going to do? I know now it's like mostly looking at your site. looks like a lot of portraiture, editorial, advertising. Um, but when you first started out, was there something that you kind of interested in uh, more than others? Yeah. Yeah, I was. Uh, so I told you I always had a fascination for uh, black and white. Mm-hmm. So I kept looking at images and I would ask somebody, hey, why does this one look so different? I want to shoot like this. And nobody ever. I mean, this probably went on for I'm not joking a year or two. And one day, uh, a Jamaican photographer who I'd become friends with, he said, you fucking idiot. That's eight by 10. That's why it looks different. Yeah. And I'm like eight by 10. He goes, yeah, the big camera looks like an accordion. So as soon as I found that's what it was, I went out and, uh, saved up and bought an eight by 10. And that's the camera I used for until I started shooting digital recently. Wow. Yeah, eight, ten, four by five. You know, I'd play around with Leicas and Pentaxes and all that, but my my, I'd say ninety five percent of my work was eight, ten, and four five. Mm-hmm. And you always just kind of had an interest in portraiture and kind of editorial aspect, or no, uh, pe- pe- people, anything. Uh, I was into faces, and I think that's because my mother, uh, who passed away a few years ago, she was a deaf mute, so we grew up signing. Uh, with her, my father could hear and speak, but so I think there was a lot of things about faces because deaf people are very, very expressive. You know, even when they're using their fingers and signing, they, they still use their facial expressions a lot. Mm -hmm. So I think that has something to do with it. Not really sure. Yeah. No, that's interesting. And I guess, like you say, you kind of moved back to the States eventually. Um, when you kind of got back here, what was kind of your next step uh, in terms of photography? Um, like, how are you kind of getting your work out there, I guess, initially? What was kind of your next step once you got back here, I guess? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I basically kind of had to start all over again. Um, the I was doing platinum palladium prints, and I've got a, a published book that published about 20 years ago wow. and uh in it are ambrotypes uh platinum prints silver and it's uh, a book full of uh nudes portraits flowers just whatever i you know mm-hmm. enjoyed shooting so you know i remember my ex-wife and i'm matting about 80 of these prints and i stuck them in a clamshell box and couldn't afford a taxi uh, was scared of the subway and yeah, I just didn't know it. So I had this big fear about going down into that unknown. So I basically walked, you know, all over New York with this heavy clamshell case yeah. and just getting rejected everywhere. And, uh, I went into New York magazine. I'm trying to remember who the woman that was there. I can't remember her name to be honest with you, mm-hmm. but she, she looked at all my work and it was the first person that had looked at the entire stack. And she said, I'd love to hire you, but you'd never want to uh, shoot for us. 
And I said, no, 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 I do. I do. I'll shoot anything. I'll shoot a toilet for you. I said, I don't care. And she goes, she goes, no, no, you don't understand. She goes, you would be insulted. And I said, no, I promise you, I really want to work. I want to work. I'm like begging this woman. And she goes, well, you know, Dick. And I go, who? And she goes, Richard. And I go, Richard, who? And she goes, Richard Avedon. And I go, oh, yes. Yeah. And I had his book, uh, The America West. Yeah. So now I'm excited. I, she's talking about Richard Avedon in front of me. And she goes, she goes, well, Richard has a contract with us. And uh, if he has a photograph in any issue, all other photos have to be a quarter page or smaller. Wow. And hold on. And then she goes, and usually to make Dick happy, no, to make Richard happy, she goes, usually we make them smaller than a quarter page. <laughs> so I, so I, stood up, I stood up and I said, Richard's a dick. <laughs> I, I was so mad that, that, that one of my idols and one of the great masters, <laughs> I felt like he was rigging the game. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's, that's crazy, man. <laughs> Yeah, um, it was smart of him, though. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, um, gave him prominence in the magazine. Those like early days, like you said, you, there's a lot of rejection. I think every photographer, um, when you're first starting out, everyone kind of deals with that. Um, was there times where you, you doubted yourself or what kind of kept you going, you think? Um, because it is, yeah, I think everyone kind of deals with that initially. Well, uh, there, there was two situations. This is when I was in Paris. So Foley used to tell me, you got to have thick skin. He said, most of the people you're going to meet in this business as a photographer are failed photographers. Mm -hmm. He goes, they're either failed photographers, failed models, failed something. So uh, I went into a meeting at a magazine. It was called Perfect. And I think the premise behind the magazine was that all the women had to have natural breasts or something like that. But mm -hmm. it was kind of a fashion-y girly magazine sort of yeah so i walked in and there's this big fat guy sitting behind his desk and he asked me where's your portfolio and i saw oh, it's right here and there was a beautiful beautiful model standing next to his desk and so i take out my polaroids take the rubber band off and i hand it to him and he goes what is your name and i said robert maxwell and he goes robert you're never going to forget me and the irony is I can't remember his name. He takes, takes the Polaroids. He didn't even look at any of them. And he just threw them back across his desk, you know, at me. I'm raining Polaroids now. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? I thought it was like a test. <laughs> and so I bent over and I'm starting to, you know, scoop them all up into a pile again. And him and this beautiful model are laughing hysterically. And then I just got mad. I thought, well, maybe I should just walk behind the desk and punch this fat fuck. <laughs> but, but I was so, what's the word, off kilter because uh, nothing made sense at that instant. I just didn't understand what, what was going on. Yeah. And I remember leaving the office and saying, I will show you, motherfucker. I will show you. Yeah. And then the second time that happened, so I told you I'm shooting flowers and this and that. Uh, this was at the very beginning. I had three still lifes. I went into a really well-known uh, gallery in Paris, photo gallery. And I didn't have my prints then. And I, I walked in first time I went in and I said, uh, 
excuse me, I'm a photographer. I'm starting to do still life. Uh, could I please bring in, I said, I live right up the street. Could I please bring in some prints and get your opinion? I said, I'm not ready to show because I'm just starting. Mm -hmm. So the woman gave me an appointment a few days later and I, I came in, the gallery was empty, except she had a young assistant there, a young girl. And I walked in, I put my prints on the table and she's standing in the middle of the gallery, looking out the window to the street and maybe five minutes went by and started to feel a little awkward. She's not looking at me, talking to me, nothing. And the girl's just staring at me. So I said to her, excuse me, miss, um, Agatha said, said she was going to give me her opinion. And this woman, as I said that, I didn't think she spoke English. She turns around and she goes, boring. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I scooped up my three prints walked out of her shop and then as i'm walking back towards my apartment you know i'm passing the front window <laughs> and she's standing in there you know with uh two fingers on her her cheek and holding her elbow you know yeah. trying to look very divine mm -hmm. <laughs> and i walk by the window and i'm like fuck you bitch <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so years later when i published a book that has those same three still lifes in it uh I realized where I got my motivation <laughs> telling all these people, I'll fucking show you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. It's like the attitude you got to have is just, just keep going, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, one of, like, like I said, Fooley always said in this business, pretend like you always have a million dollars in your pocket, yep. but only, you know, <laughs> that's good advice. Um, yeah. And, like when did like the editorial because i know you, for years you shot magazines and i issue editorial stuff um but you're kind yeah. of talking about walking into galleries and things um was that was that kind of your goal initially like the gallery stuff or like how did the editorial kind of come in the mix for you you know what it was just a uh a means to an end a way to make a living doing something you love mm -hmm. you know um I, I just love shooting people, uh, so I didn't care if it's editorial or if it's personal work. Or, yeah. uh, but when I was in uh, Paris, I was, I would say, fifty percent a fashion photographer and then fifty percent uh, portraits. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I came to, to the states, I actually wanted to be a fashion photographer because I just thought they were cooler. Yep. And uh, when I got here. Uh, the first person that hired me was George Pitts at uh, Vibe magazine. Oh, wow, legend. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And he, uh, who'd you give me? Salma Hayek. And then, uh, oh, that was a funny shoot. Her, uh, I shot 810 Polaroid, and when I got there, they were starting hair and makeup on her. Yeah. And she was raw. I mean, you know, she hadn't had anything done yet. And I was like, fuck, I go, leave her alone. I go, please let me just shoot her before you guys do all this hair and makeup stuff. So I took her out onto the, the, the lawn. We we're, we we're on a, somebody's house. So I got her on set and her publicist, so I'm shooting 810, I'd focus right when I'd get ready to push, her publicist would move her, like actually physically pull her towards her. She did this like three or four times and I got really frustrated uh, I was so new, I didn't know what a publicist was because uh, all the celebrities I shot in France, uh, with the exception of one, uh, they would come alone. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know what a publicist was to save my life. So I finally said to Salma, 
I was living in San Diego at the time, yep. but I'm shooting up here in LA and I was really heavy into surfing. And I said to Selma, I said, Hey, the waves are big today. I go, if you don't get this fucking test offset, I said, I'm just going to go home and go surf. Wow. And so, yeah. I didn't realize how bad I fucked up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so she actually made her publicist leave. They brought somebody else. So I did these shots with Selma in a, just a flip and kind of a white beater style t-shirt, mm-hmm. uh, no makeup and her hair was just down. And so the next morning, George calls me. He's like, Robert, they called, they complained. They said, you tried to make Selma look ugly. What, what are you doing, man? <laughs> <laughs> he, he was all nervous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I said, and I told him what had happened and, then he kind of told me about publicists, how they carry a lot of power in the business. So mm. uh, he finally got the uh, Polaroids, and I shot some film as well. And he absolutely loved the image that, you know, before she got her hair and makeup done, and that's the one he ran. Mm, that's amazing. Is that something you, yeah. st- you still battle with these days, obviously, because you shoot a lot of celebrities, like the PR people? It, it, is that something that you kind of battle with on a lot of shoots? Yes. Or? I try, I try to bite my tongue because a lot of times what will happen is the talent is, is really kind and doesn't want the conflict and you can tell. Mm-hmm. So if, if I smell that, I'll just let the publicist act like a complete idiot and I won't, I won't battle it. Yeah. Um, but there was a situation, uh, of six months ago, um, we were at the Chateau Marmont shooting a well-known actress, comedian. And, uh, we had done three or four pictures already. And the publicist was very affable at this point. Then we go inside, uh, up against the white living room wall to do a uh, cover try. Mm. And all of a sudden the actress came out and her hair looked like shit. And I was just like, fuck. So I didn't say anything. And I do a test shot and the publicist goes and looks under the monitor and she goes, your lighting is shit. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't say anything. (laughs) And I said, well, I go, let's try another. So I took another frame. She looks at it and she goes, like I said, your lighting is shit. (laughs) And so I turned around and, you know, we're in a little living room and there's, five or six people. So there was a lot of tension and I just turned around and I said, you know what, lady? I said, you're fucking insane. I said for 20 something years, I've been hired because of my lighting Yeah. that I'm known for my lighting. Don't, I said, don't come up with this bullshit. I said, the problem with that image right there is her hair's fucked up. I go, it looks horrible. And I said, I'm sorry to the hairdresser, super nice guy. I said, I'm sorry to say that I go, but what the fuck happened? The hair looked great till, and he goes, her publicist told me to do it like that. <laughs> uh, man, that's, that's like that's just like crazy to hear because like 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 you like you say you've been doing this for a long time and your portfolio kind of speaks for itself at this point. Um, but it's just wild to hear that you still kind of have to battle those things even like this point in your career, you know? Well, I have a funny feeling that uh, a lot of these publicists are failed actresses and actors. Yeah. Because they, they, they throw a lot of, a lot of unnecessary baggage and 
emotional stuff on set you really should never have. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and especially doing that in front of their own talent. It makes the talent feel uncomfortable. Uh, we went outside for uh, a little uh, joint break, and the actress, me, the actress, and the hairdresser, and she spent five minutes apologizing, just yeah. saying, I'm so sorry. I, I know she acts like a bitch. Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah, it's just like power, control, ego, pretty much. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Um, was like celebrities, was that always your goal, or did that this kind of come naturally? No, I... I I think it was, I never had an interest in shooting uh, famous people. I liked real people, real faces, yeah. characters, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I think it was because of the first two jobs that George handed me were celebrity. It was uh, Salma Hayek. The second one was Omar Epps. And then I think uh, Rolling Stone started to hire me. Mm -hmm. um, I did a lot of musicians for Rolling Stone, though. It wasn't really actors. Yeah. But uh, that's actually, uh, that's another point. Um, I would say that's what kind of put my face on the map here in the States is uh, uh, when John gave me a one-year contract back in, was it 91? 90, I think it was 91. Yeah. No, no, couldn't have been 91. Sorry, 90. We got back from Paris in 95. So I think it was 1995 or 96. Mm. I was under contract for one year shooting Rolling Stone, Us Magazine, and, wow. uh, Men's Journal. Yeah. Damn, that's pretty good. So they just kind of send you all over every month, this different stuff? Yeah, yeah. Did a lot of interesting work for the magazine, too. It was, uh, you know, one time we went out to uh, Tombstone, Arizona and photographed uh, bounty hunters. And, you know, some of these guys look like freaking cowboys, <laughs> you know, with the long the long handgun and, yeah. you know, thick shooter. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. But yeah, so no, it's been uh, it's been an amazing twenty eight years Not until recently. Oh yeah, yeah, recently. Oh hell yeah! I think for every, you know, except for the very top one percent, um, you know, that the business has changed so much. Uh, and I I knew it was going to about two or three years ago. I was in New York City doing a job, uh, a new assistant I had never worked with, but uh, uh, I remember he was highly recommended, highly capable. So. We were talking and he told me, yeah, he goes, uh, a couple of weeks ago, he goes, I got hired to assist this girl. And he goes, I show up in the morning and cameras on the cart. And he goes, the girl goes over and picks it up like it's a foreign object. So he had to show her how to hold the camera properly. So the talent comes, I guess it was a fashion story or I can't really remember. He said it was a big magazine. Yeah. So he said he carried the girl because he had to light it because she didn't know how to light. Then during the shoot, he said things got real awkward because she had never done a photo shoot in her life. What? He's like, okay, have him, have him stand up, have him sit, have him turn this way, that way. Uh, so he said he basically should have charged double for one of these kind of shoots. How did she get hired? And, got, that's the crazy. Well, here's, 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 <laughs> here's the punchline. So he said he held his tongue the entire day. Then everybody leaves. It's just him and her there now. And he said, you're excuse me, but he goes, I don't want to be rude, but how did you get this job? And the girl said, oh, I, I didn't call them. They called me. And he goes, what do you mean? She goes, the magazine contacted me. And he goes, but you're not a photographer? She goes, no, I've, I've got, I think, 250,000 followers or something like that. Uh, yeah, I knew that. So all I she'd ever... All she'd ever taken before were iPhone pictures or whatever 
phone she had, mm. but she was not a photographer. And yet she, she took some photographer's work away. Yeah, no, that's, I, it's crazy that you say that I had a buddy, um, uh, in New York, a really good, well-known, uh, editorial photographer. And he had the same situation. He was, he was bidding on a job against a, uh, like an Instagram uh, follower, like a Instagram, like whatever influencer, whatever. Was it? Yeah, that's the new word, influencer. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, they just look at it. They just look at it as like reach or something. They kind of don't care about the quality anymore. I guess it's just kind of. Uh, uh, well, you know about speaking of that. You know when I knew things were changing too. Mm. So back in the back in the day, uh, in Paris, especially. Uh, if your work even remotely looked like Lindbergh's or Paolo Reversi or any number of well-known photographers with their own thumbprint, yep. there is no way in hell they would ever have hired you. In fact, they probably would have insulted you and then thrown you out. Yep. Well, and it was like that here in the States up until, uh, in fact, I remember one girl... Uh, she assisted Dan Winters. She went out and tried to do Dan's light. And I remember the buzz going around. Everyone's like, God, that girl's stupid. Why in the hell would she copy Dan's lighting? Yeah. So it wasn't too many years after that. All of a sudden we had a Annie Leibovitz imitator and this guy built a freaking solid career. I mean, yeah. Copying identically, you know, he would hire her ex assistants. Mm hmm comb their knowledge, fire them, Yeah, you know, just, and he would act like the whole, don't look at me, don't talk at me on set. Yeah. Only speak when I ask you a question, you know, that kind of shit. Yeah. And I'm just like, that, yeah. that shit wouldn't have flown when I first started in this game. Yeah. I think there was I, too much respect for photography. Yeah, exactly. Now there doesn't seem to be respect for the photograph. It's respect for how popular, how many followers you got. Yeah. I don't know. So, no, I definitely. Maybe I sound like a no, dated I, old fuck. No, not at all. I think it's a it's just a reality, and I think uh, I don't know if you'd agree, but I think a lot of things change when digital photography came in the mix, um, because the bar to entry uh, into photography became easier, and there's like giant yeah. there's giant sectors of the business where people used to make a living shooting like um, even like business photography or like uh, annual reports, where now um, they can just have like, oh, Bobby from the office has a 5D and now he'll shoot the, the corporate portraits where back in the day that was actually like a, you, you can make a living doing that type of photography, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's but, a, you know, I, I do, Andre, I think, I think what's happening with change, like anytime there's a major shift in something, I think eventually the, t the tree gets shaken so hard mm -hmm. In fact, Fooley told me this too. He said, uh, because my work, you know, isn't tricky. It's very simple. And, you know, um, Fooley always told me, don't ever get tricky. Because I remember when cross-processing in the early 90s, Nick Knight was doing it. So I thought, oh, I want to do it. Yeah. And I spoke to Fooley about it one day. And he said, no, 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 no. He goes, don't, don't ever get tricky. Yeah. And I said, why? I go, you know, this is real popular right now. And he goes, yeah, but it's going to fade in a year or two. Yep. He goes, the one thing it constantly comes back to is beauty. Mm -hmm. You know, like, remember the grunge movement? Yep. Like, the uglier, the better? Mm -hmm. Well, that didn't, you know, it, it does. It always swings back to beauty. 
Yeah, I think that's the thing. I've always been attracted to your work. Like you said, it's very, I don't know if simple is the word, but it's just, um, it's not too flashy. Like, you know, a lot of times these days, a lot of people using like colored gels or it'd be like super flashy. Um, but with your work, there's this like a real consistency to it. And the thing that I always kind of ask people, did it take you a while to kind of find that like aesthetic or your kind of photographic voice? Um, did it kind of take you a while to kind of craft that look or have you always just kind of shot that way? Well, it's, it's uh, a funny story. So when I first went from a 35 millimeter camera to uh, 810, mm -hmm. uh, we were in the south of France. So my uh, 32 year old son was, I don't know, about four, I guess. Yep. And uh, we're in the south of France at a house on vacation with family friends. And all the kids are running around the yard naked. And I found this beautiful old door stuck up against, it was like a metal fucked up door stuck up against the side of like a stone garage type thing, or maybe the side of a house. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I tell Justin, I'm like, Justin, come here, stand against that door. And up until that point, anytime I'd ever shot my son, I would tell him to do something, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I couldn't even barely open the camera and get everything set to to neutral at that point, right? I was really struggling with it. So my son, while I'm trying to get all this stuff done, he kept asking me, what do you want me to do, dad? What do you want? And I'm like, shh, shh, leave me alone. So I'm trying to concentrate. And finally I stuck a Polaroid in, pulled it up, I exposed, and then I went, fuck. And my son goes, what's wrong, Papa? And I go, ah, I forgot to tell you to do something. And all he was doing was just standing against the door not doing a goddamn thing, just looking at me. Mm. And I remember thinking, God, I just wasted how much money on this damn 810 Polaroid. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember when I pulled it, uh, like it took my breath away. And I remember being shocked. I kept going, why do I like this so much? I don't know. I don't get it. And then I went, fuck, it's so simple. That, what? Yeah. Is that why I like it? So it kind of evolved from that, that very first, photo i'd ever taken on an 810 mm -hmm. yeah. thinking i fucked up is what taught me no you're not because in san diego i was you know with the friends and everything i i was always doing cr like crazy ideas and mm -hmm. you know a guy a fencer in a fencer outfit he's out in the middle of la jolla boulevard fencing oncoming traffic just crazy stupid shit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then i found out that's not who i am yeah <laughs> No, that's amazing to hear this kind of light bulb went off for you because I think the thing I've always enjoyed about your work is it seems like you really pay a lot of attention to the composition of your portraits. It's really, you can tell you take time with the location. It's not like you're this, from looking at it, it seems that way, that the composition is so important to your portraiture. Well, you know what's funny? I don't even think about how I shoot. I mean, with 810, uh, like I noticed when I started shooting digital, mm -hmm. now I'm looking at the subject when I'm shooting. Yeah. When I shot 810, it's upside down, backwards. I never looked at the subject. All I looked at was the, what do you call it, negative space, yep. the area around the subject. Mm -hmm. So, um, and oh, uh, the other irony is I'm actually a very, very fast shooter. Interesting. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, because like, how do you operate on? Yeah, you, you don't shoot a lot. You're kind of quick in and out, but usually, or yeah, oh yeah. Like uh, a few months back, I shot Ryan Seacrest, and I had a uh, 
if it had been like the normal one, I'd have, I'd have toughed it out. But I had a really bad pinched nerve on my back nice. to the point where every breath I took, it was pushing on the nerve. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I showed up, we had two setups um, and I got Ryan on the first one. I said, great, got it. I said, come on. And he's like, what? And I said, yeah, yeah, come on, come on, come over here. Shot him on the second setup. And he goes, not for nothing. He goes, but do you mind if I look at the monitor? And I'm like, help yourself. So he goes over and he's like, Jesus Christ, these are some of my favorite pictures ever. <laughs> and <laughs> so he goes, that's great. I can leave. And uh. yeah. so uh, my, I asked my assistant, how many frames did I shoot? And he goes, 40. <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, and- but back when you go back to 810, I probably would have shot five, maybe six. Six frames, yeah. So you know, it was like two, four, six, eight, mm-hmm. ten. You know, so I'd have probably shot six frames maximum. Mm-hmm. You don't need if you get everything right in front of you. You don't need to sit there and shoot all day. Mm-hmm. And and does that come from like I'm always curious, like how how do you generally prepare for a shoot? Like, do you go into a shoot like say you're shooting Ryan Seacrest? Is it is it are you scouting the location? Are you like already have in mind like how you want to pose him before he gets there, or is it more this kind of order? no no? I go in blind. The first shoot I did for uh, Max Magazine, uh, I drew it out. I was shooting a Haitian singer, and I had to do six pages and I drew it out. I went to Fooley's office. I showed him. I'm like, look, I'm going to do a tight portrait here. Then I'm going to back up. And, and he goes, tear those up. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? No. I said, I spent a couple hours last night drawing and I can't draw for shit. So, uh, I'm like, no, no, no. Why? And he goes, he goes, he goes, 99% of the time when you go in with a fixed idea, he goes, something's going to come in and fuck that up. He goes, better to keep an open mind and just play everything off of uh, the reaction of your subjects. Mm. So that's kind of what I've done ever since. In fact, it hurt my career at one point. About 10 years ago, Elizabeth Biondi at New York Magazine, mm-hmm. uh, trying to remember if it was, I think it might have been Ruben Afanador and me, uh, were the last two candidates to become like their next new guy. Mm-hmm. And so, um, my agent at the time, uh, you know, he told me this, so I go up there and Elizabeth and her assistant are sitting there and she said, so tell me how you work. Uh, do you prepare? Uh, because back in the day they don't do it anymore, but they used to, if you were shooting an actor, they used to send you a, a goddamn manila envelope that would tell you what the guy ate for breakfast, every film he's done, what his fashion choices are, you know, <laughs> his political view. I don't give a fuck about all that. That yeah. has no bearing. Uh, the, the fact that he did a Peter Pan movie or, uh, a villain, or it has no bearing on how I'm going to approach the subject. That's right. You're, you're, yeah. wa- you're walking on to Robert Maxwell's set. You're on my territory now. I don't, I don't, I don't feel that way, but, yeah. <laughs> but I do, I do have, the confidence that if people will work with me, yeah. we're gonna get we're gonna get a good photograph that that they should be happy with. If you work against me, yeah, then who knows? No, you know what I'm saying? I like it, man. It's just like yeah, have that confidence, and that's that's how you make good work. Uh, yeah, and, and know, I will tell you, I did try planning shit out a few times after that, mm-hmm. and sure enough, shit always happened. Either the 
person said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to wear that, or mm -hmm. I don't want to sit on that. Uh, you know, so there's all kinds of, uh, situations where you got to learn how to, uh, you know, just roll with it. Yeah, definitely. If you don't, if you don't, you're, you're, you're not a photographer. And how do you handle that? Cause I know you shoot advertising too. You shot some like amazing cans for campaigns for like Nike with like LeBron and I think Tiger Woods and yeah, with the advertising, Kobe. Oh yeah. With the, all that. with the advertising stuff, it's like the agencies are like planning it out like months in advance is shooting advertising something you like? Do you, have, you feel like you have a different approach versus like your editorial or personal work, or how does it kind of differ the process? I well, guess. There's only been a couple of times where what the client wanted, and if you're a professional, that's your job to give the client what because they're paying. Mm -hmm. It's not you know just a few grand. It's you know usually a lot of money yep. and man hours and everything. Uh, but I would say there's only been a couple of times where I got hired and I didn't like what I was shooting because it didn't look like what you my do. styling. It didn't look like my subject matter. Uh, one of them was, was a Ameritrade, I think, uh, like an insurance company thing. Mm -hmm. And then I remember another time shooting for a pharmaceutical company and uh, it was their art direction, but it, it was painful. I had to stand up on a, what do they call those ramps? Want scissor ramp? Oh yeah, like a yeah scissor lift. Yeah, scissor lift. So I had to stand on a scissor lift for two days in a row, shooting down uh, a, a Chinese gentleman, laughing hysterically. <laughs> yeah. Two days. Yeah. Two days, eight hours a day shooting that, and it was painful as hell, but it paid well. Yeah. But yeah. like I said, so I can still hold my head up and say, hey. I made money as a photographer today. Yeah, definitely. You got to keep the lights on. No. Um, but yeah, 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 like you said, like uh, you had an amazing campaign on your website for American Express. And all it is is it's like really nice portraits. Like I never thought I would like photos from like a credit card company, but they're like this great photos, you know? Yeah. I think generally the, the ad companies who have hired me hired me because of my whatever you want to call it, my lighting, my look, my... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe because I was such a such a handsome young photographer. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then one one shoot I was actually excited to talk to you about. I think I, I was looking at your website. You photographed Gordon Parks. Oh my God! I can't believe you just said that. What was that like? Because that guy is just such a legend. Well, no, 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 no. Let me yeah. let me back up a second. Yeah. I was expecting this question uh, at some point. It's one that you know when I get interviewed usually 99% of the time they'll ask who was your favorite subject. Yeah. And ever since the day I photographed him, his name has always been at the top of the list. Yeah. It's like the guy is just such an iconic photographer, artist. I mean, what was that photo for? And like, what was your experience working with him? Um, it was a, a beautiful experience. Uh, it was bittersweet because, uh, who was that? Was it New York magazine? Might've been New York times. Uh, damn, could have been T Magazine, possibly, yeah. at the Times. Mm -hmm. um, so we went, he lived in the United Nations building, yep. and we, we get into his apartment, and it, he was 91 or 92 at the time, and it was, and when I say a complete, utter mess, I don't mean that he was messy, I mean that 
clutter. It was it, it it wasn't clutter. He had and they weren't fancy, beautiful like look at my photography. Mm-hmm. They were the kind of shit family photos that you throw into a box and then put in a closet and pull them out every once in a while and look at. Mm-hmm. You know, like Vaughn's processed photos off a little shitty camera. Yeah. It was photographs of everyone that he loved in his life. And, you know, we spent about an hour, hour and a half. Uh, that shot I took uh, near his piano. Uh, if you'd seen that same corner before the photograph, you could barely see the piano. Wow. So we had to move a lot of shit. So we, you know, finally got it. But he, he was talking to us and saying how lonely he was. Yikes. And I, I thought, how the fuck could this icon be lonely? Mm-hmm. It made no sense to me. Yeah. So he starts saying, yeah, the kids, they kind of just come around when they want money. You know, other than that, he goes, I don't, I don't really see anybody anymore. Ugh. And I felt so horrible. So the editor from, yeah, it was, he was from Bruce. No, uh, damn, not Bruce Pass. The editor it was from New York Times. So uh, Gordon said, would you guys please stay for, you know, half an hour after the shoot and we'll have a little wine. And the editor's like, no, I got to go. I, I'm busy. You know, are you fucking serious? <laughs> yeah. Jesus. So I was really, but listen, here's what the editor missed. And I, I'm not going to lie. I don't remember what we talked about, yeah. but I do remember him going over to his couch, pulling out a box and me looking at these beautiful paintings he had done. Mm-hmm. And, then him showing me poetry yeah. and in the back of my mind, I'm going, wait a minute. I think George told me he also wrote the screen, the score for shaft. Yeah. And I'm thinking this motherfucker is a Renaissance man. He can do everything <laughs> and he does everything well. Yeah. And my best part about Gordon Parks jr. They said he used to bang all the white society ladies back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I guess he was, very, very stylish. I guess he he knew how to dress. I mean, yeah. In the photo you took of him, he's got a pretty sweet suit on. He's he's still styling at ninety years old, man. Um, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's amazing. I had to ask about that shoot. Uh, yeah, that's a really interesting story. Um, yeah, and, and even at ninety one, ninety two years old, he was still physically very beautiful. Yeah, and I can't say that about many. You know, I've seen a few in my lifetime, but not many. Mm-hmm. Usually when they get that age, it looks like a, a, a flower that used to be beautiful, but now it looks old and dry and, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't yeah. have it anymore. Yeah. He still had it. He yeah. still had a youthful uh, presence about him. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And, uh, you know, one thing I was kind of curious about, like, obviously, once you get, in, you get into photography for the love of it, and just because you want to take pictures and make art and whatnot, um, but at some point you like you got to start making money um, to to live, you know. And do you ever feel like any pressure to like create work that was gonna like attract clients, or have you always just kind of created the work that you enjoy or inspired by, kind of put it out there and hope people react to it, or like what's your kind of approach? I guess. I guess I've always tried to stay true to who who I am. For example earlier in the conversation, you mentioned, uh, uh, colored gels on lights and all this stuff. Yeah. So, uh, I, I reached out, I've, I've reached out only in 28 years, I think, to two photographers. One was Dan Winters. Yeah. 
and the other uh oh shit i just had a, a what do you call it a brain fart. brain swipe <laughs> yeah shit what were we talking about we were talking oh, about gel. gels yeah recent yeah so recently uh on instagram uh i reached out to this photographer and i said hey uh i just want to tell you when i first got into photography my my idols my people that inspired me were Paul Strand, Edward Weston, uh, Walker Evans, you know, the very classic old school. For me, those were my heroes. Yeah. And I said, but actually today I'm inspired by your work. Mm. And the kid, kid was kind of blown away and he's like, oh my God, I can't believe you're <laughs> telling me this. And yeah. But it's true because this kid is out there doing all those colored gels mm -hmm. and, and everybody else is trying to copy him. And yeah. When you look at his work, you can tell he's being honest. Yeah, I think that's when you look at, yeah, that's the main thing. When you is, look at the other people copying him, you can you kind of go, well, it's kind of cool, but just something not right. Yeah. So the photographer I'm talking about is I can't pronounce his name, but it's something like Terry Dukovic. Uh, yeah, Parry Dukovic. He actually went to the same school as me. He went to RIT. Uh, amazing <laughs> photographer. Um, no shit. Yeah, yeah. He worked. He was. Uh, he was Platon's assistant for years, and then he broke off on his own. And uh, yeah, he, he, ah. his work is amazing. Well, you know, I actually spoke at RIT. Do you know Claudia Galindo at Picture House? No, I don't know her. Cause she gra I, I spoke at her graduating class, and I didn't even realize it. Oh, we've wow. been working together for years, yeah. and then one day she mentions it. She's like, "Yeah, you spoke at our class." <laughs> wow, that's that's amazing, <laughs> man. Small world. But yeah, like yeah. you're saying, like I don't like when I say like when I talk to people about like colored gels, like I it's not that I don't like it. I, like it's like you said, like if it comes from like a sincere place and you actually have like a vision and you're not just trying to jump on a bandwagon, then like yeah, be all about it. Like I think it's cool. Like when because it's it's hard. Like uh, not many people have a voice. Or, you know what I mean? Like not people. Yeah. Have, that's like I think that's the hardest thing with photography or any art is this really kind of finding that voice and that's when you kind of stick out from the pack, you know? Well said. That's, that's the, the bottom line. That's the most honest thing you can say about making it as an artist. Mm -hmm. You have to have your own voice. Yeah. You know what? Uh, you just reminded me of another, uh, I think it's tragic. He's, he's probably living, uh, you know, the life he wants. But back in the day, I was getting invited to, uh, in, France, they had this festival de la mode, de la photo, mm. and it was with all the big names. And uh, I had been to two of them. One, one was at uh, the first one was in Monte Carlo, wow. and the second one was at the Louvre in Paris. So I remember looking at this one guy's work, and he was new and up and comer. And I remember going, "Wow, I really like this guy's whimsical style." It was just fresh and it was Jurgen Teller's work. Oh wow. And then then years a couple years go by, Corinne Day jumps on the scene with her anti photography look. Mm. And immediately Jurgen, there was a guy named Mark Borthwick, there was about six photographers in Paris at the time. They jumped on that look and then Jurgen got into this you know, little one touch camera flash, like just not flattering lighting. Yep. And, and he kind of stuck with that. I'm curious to know what body of work 
he would have had if he had not jumped off of his own train. Mm, that's interesting. Damn. I'll yeah. To, I'll have to get him on he the might, podcast. <laughs> yeah. Get him on. <laughs> Tell him I challenge him. Yeah. Man. <laughs> no, yeah. who knows? He might, he might still shoot the stuff I saw yep. as personal work now, mm-hmm. you know, because if that look made him money in the fashion world. So, yep. I mean, if you're making money, I guess you're not going to say, no, 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 I want to be, yeah, I want to be true to me. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll take the money too. <laughs> yeah, money, yeah, money. Everyone's got to eat. Uh, yeah. And, you know, when I reached out to you, uh, we kind of touched on a little bit. Um, you spent a lot of time um, photographing surfers. Uh, like, you photographed like, yeah. Kelly Slater, Danny Fuller, a um, bunch of amazing surfers is is that surfing something that's been a part of your life for a long time or is that was it just yes since i was uh 17 but uh past couple of years past few years not couple uh past few years i i've kind of grown apart Mm. part of it's uh you know trying to revive the career Mm -hmm. uh you know you you can't sit out in the water bobbing up and down all day and expecting your career to get back to where it was Mm -hmm. so i've kind of had to put that on the back burner and then I'd say the biggest reason is I started to have uh, knee trouble. I thought all I could do was go get it uh, arthroscopy. Yeah. And the doctor, when I went in and got the results, he's like, I got good news and bad news. And I'm like, give me the bad news. No, I said, I said, give me the good news first. And he goes, there's nothing wrong with your knee. Yeah. And then I go, what's the bad news? He goes, there's nothing wrong with your knee. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. And he goes, it's degenerative. And I go, what does that mean? He goes, you're just getting old. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I, go, nothing, I go, there's nothing you can do for it. And he goes, no. mm, you know, ibuprofen. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, yeah, everybody. Yeah, I had, a, I had a good run. I'm 57 now. So, you know, a few things hurt here and there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. And, you know, once you, you photographed uh, Andy Irons for the cover Outside Magazine, um legendary surfer unfortunately passed away a few years back um yeah i was kind of curious what your experience is working with a guy like that this one of the most legendary surfers in ever um it's like pulling up at t street in san clemente paddling out and talking to your buddies i mean that's typically the surfer vibe um the only the only time you'll not see that vibe is you know uh when they're in competition kelly and andy being the two that really used to vibe the shit out of each other, you know, play mind games and all that. Yeah. But, but when they're not competing, they tend to be very mellow and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. easygoing people. I thought the photo came out great. I thought it was amazing that outside they ran it as a black and white cover, which you really don't see very often. Um, yeah, it, that's it, true, huh? Yeah, no, it was amazing. Um, what is it about black and white you think you're drawn to so much? Cause that's, uh, your your tones in black and white are this like you you can tell it. it's like that's a robert maxwell photo you know yeah um oh i'm gonna tell you another truth a lot of people are gonna probably be shocked to hear i don't remember what year it was but it's not that many years ago uh stefano tonki uh who's now at w i believe running that mm-hmm. uh he hires me uh to brand uh, T magazine. Yeah. And I remember when my agent said they want you to brand the magazine. I'm like, what the fuck does brand the magazine mean? <laughs> and he goes, well, they want your look to be kind of the, the look of T magazine for all the portraits in there. And I was like, really? So we were traveling all over the world. And, but anyway, so 
the first couple of shoots I did, I did the only color I had ever liked was when I used to shoot 810 Polaroid. I'd have a 12K coming through a 12 by 12 silk flat. Mm -hmm. And then I, I forget what filter I used to put on. There was like a magenta or something. I had a filtering, two filters that I'd stick on the lens. And it came out this real milky skin, beautiful look. It was soft. Something about it I just liked. Couldn't describe it. Um, wait, God, I keep losing my train of thought. Thank God you're editing this fucker. Imagine if this were live. People, people would be glad. It's all right. Man. We were just, we were just. I was talking about how like you photographed Andy Irons and it was black and white for the cover, and I was just asking, what, oh, oh, what is I'm it? I'm telling about? you, yeah, oh, the why? shocking thing. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so I did a couple of. Uh, shoots for Stefano and the first couple were in color and I used my my flathead 80 Kino setup mm-hmm. and the you know the color it's really beautiful it's got that quality I like so they loved it and I'm thinking great then we were talking about doing the third shoot and Stefano's like uh okay we're gonna be doing a lot of these I I I, I need different styles of lighting yeah and then I was just like oh fuck, this is the only color, the only lighting source that I can use to where I like color. Mm-hmm. So I knew I wanted to continue the project, but it scared the shit out of me that, uh-oh, now I'm going to have to go try stuff that I'm not really comfortable with. Yeah. So, uh, you know, started off with an Octobank and, you know, started using different light shaping things and eventually found out that, you know, you can make anything look like yours if you're honest about it. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not the hammer. It's not the nail. Mm-hmm. It's the the imagination. Yeah, definitely. No, it's it's really interesting. And uh, a couple more questions. I'll let you go. Uh, sure. You know, one thing I was kind of curious about talking to you about is uh, again on the commercial side of things. I let the sirens go by. Um, Sorry. No, nah, no worries. You know, one thing I was kind of curious about. Uh, when you're in the commercial realm of stuff, um, I know you've been, you've had a couple different, different reps that have repped your work over the years. Um, do you feel like it's a, necess- yeah. a necessity as like a commercial photographer to have a rep or what's your experience been? What do you think about it? In the old days? Absolutely. hundred percent. But, uh, I've got an old assistant who's repping himself and he's not having to cough up 25% of you know, his income mm-hmm. and he's, he's doing well. I mean, he's, he's making a living. So, yeah. Um, I'd even venture to say he's doing better than I am right now, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I got a, I, a couple months ago, I had the most beautiful thing happen to me in a long, long time. So I've got this, uh, younger assistant. Yeah. Uh, he's married and his brother and his wife, they just took an interest in, kind of becoming my crew and they're the ones that built my website. Mm-hmm. They manage, they manage my social media, the Robert Maxwell photo. Yep. Um, they manage that. They communicate with people. They hashtag the fuck out of stuff. I could never do. I just, I don't have the patience to hashtag the fuck out of one picture. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cause I think for years, so, cause, cause I've always been the biggest fan of your work for years. I don't even think you had a website, right? I, no, I, this is the first website I've, I, I've ever had. That's amazing. And That's amazing. You've never had a website. That's awesome. No. It's... And, and these two, these four kids have done more 
this past year, I was really bad. I'm not going to mention names, but this past year, I was really poorly represented. Mm-hmm. Um, so these four have done more in two months than my actual agent did in the last year. Yep. And my my ex-agent, who I just let go two days ago, yep. uh, he, he said... Uh, social media is a waste of time and it's stupid. Really? And he goes, you're not going to get jobs off of it. And I'm like, no. I'm getting more action off of my Instagram account right now than, than you're bringing me with the old school way One, of thinking. 100% because all the photo editors, the young photos and magazines and everything, they're all on Instagram. Um, I've gotten so many jobs just from being, because that's where people, people are on their phones like uh, all the time, you know? Yes, yes. And I got to tell you, man, I wish I had, I wish I had the intelligence when my career started to wane to yeah. jump on. In fact, when I was at Art and Commerce, the first day I, I met with my agent, the first thing she said to me, I had had Facebook back then, yeah. but I erased it because I found it to just be a freaking time waster. Yeah. So she's like, how's your social media presence? I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> she's like, are you on Facebook? Yeah. And I'm like, uh, I go, I used to be, but I, I deleted it. And she goes, you jump, jump on it. And then what happened is I started working so much that I didn't think I needed it. So I didn't even bother. And she never really mentioned, like, she never followed up like, hey, are you doing your Instagram and Facebook? She didn't, you know, she's out trying to get work. So Mm -hmm. um, I wish I'd listened to Becky, you know, seven years ago, whatever it was. Yeah, I mean, But I'm listening now and I'm seeing the results. So I'm all about, uh, you know. Usually, I guess people in their fifties and sixties think they're smarter than someone in their thirties or forties. Yeah, I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning it's the opposite. Young kids are a lot fucking smarter than older people. It's as simple as that. Yeah, it's a hard thing. It's just like a different game now. Um, but it, but yeah, it's, I was interested. Yeah, social social media. It's like a weird thing. Like I have like a hate a love hate relationship with it. On one hand, it's like you can meet some cool people, see some cool work, and then on the other hand, sometimes it can come across as like everyone's just like bragging or something but um yeah it, it's it, very narcissistic it, it is it doesn't you know it doesn't, even at a base level it's narcissistic it doesn't have to be i think there's certain ways people utilize it it's, it's, i look at it as a tool just trying to find some way to be creative with it but it is interesting man it, but I, i'm glad you're on there man i saw your work up there so it's, i'll link it on this interview and people can give you a follow man yeah my personal ig uh you know, I'm, I'm being dead honest. I, I love to cook. So anytime I make a nice plate, I'll take a picture and I'll post it. And that's just being a narcissist. That's like, hey, everyone, look look what a great cook I am. No, nah, but it's like, you pers- it's like, but it gives like personality. I think that's kind of cool, though. Like, uh, yeah, I respect I'll shoot bo- my dogs and whatever. But, you know, the cooking pictures are definitely like the mm. what do they call those selfies? The girls show their asses. Uh, I'm, I'm doing the same thing. It's just with food. Hey, man, I, I, I like a good bowl of noodles, man. It's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Um, um, but I guess guess to wrap up man like um, as you know this business is there's a lot of ups and downs um, but what do you think kind of has kept you going what kind of keeps you inspired to keep taking pictures and uh, uh, keep being a photographer well just a great love for people Mm -hmm. I think Um, I love people I love meeting them photography has brought me in so many I mean I'm, I'm guessing it's in the thousands now over 28 years um, brought me in touch with thousands of really interesting, diverse people. I never, ever would have met if it weren't for photography and commercial photography, because most of these people were met shooting editorial or advertising, Mm. not personal work. Yeah. 
definitely. So it's, it's been it's it's been a beautiful, beautiful twenty eight years. I just need to restructure and figure out how to make it go another twenty. Hell yeah, man! <laughs> no doubt you're gonna you're gonna fucking kick ass and take names, man. Um, I hope so. <laughs> um, but for uh, people listening, where's the best place to check out your work, Robert? Uh, www.robertmaxwellphoto.com. Cool, perfect. And then on Instagram, it's just Robert Maxwell Photo. Perfect. I'll link it, and I uh, can't thank you enough, Robert. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for listening to today. Um, hope you enjoyed the podcast. I actually wanted to tell you about a new image transfer tool I've been using lately called PicDrop. It's a really great image transfer tool that was actually designed by a photographer, and they really had photographers in mind when they designed it. Um, I've been using it for about a month now, and it's really kind of helped me keep myself organized and keep all my photos in one spot when I need to send them off to my clients that I'm working with. I can create private galleries, different folders for different assignments I'm working on, and like I said, it's just kind of helped me keep myself organized, and my clients can actually write notes on the photos and uh, give me feedback on the photos I sent to them. Um, so I can't say enough about it. Um, for years, I was using like WeTransfer and zip folders. And with PickDrop, it's kind of this, took it an extra mile. And I, I really enjoy it. And uh, actually, with today's podcast, if you use the promo code PHOTOBANTER, you're going to get three months free at PickDrop.com. Um, so definitely go check it out and let me know what you guys think. And remember to use the promo code PHOTOBANTER when you sign up at PickDrop.com, and you'll get three months free. And also, this got to give a big thank you to our guest, Robert Maxwell. Um, it was a real pleasure talking to him. He's been one of my favorite photographers for years, so can't thank him enough. Um, there's a lot of interesting stories talking to him. The guy has shot so much over the course of his career, uh, so can't thank him enough. And definitely go check out Robert's website at robertmaxwellphoto.com, as well as his Instagram at Robert Maxwell Photo. Uh, lots of interesting work up there, and he's always posting on Instagram. Um, so definitely go give him a follow and check him out. And as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, as well as on my website, alexgagnephoto.com, and on my Instagram, at alexgagnephoto. Thanks so much for listening, and take care.